I'm Carrie Ann. And I'm Allison, and this is Podcast Without an Audience. Where two friends pick two topics and find intersections. Or not. And happy, happy Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving! Yes! I guarantee you are listening to this right now. Traveling home from Thanksgiving. With way too much food. Oh, you're stuffed. You got food in the backseat of your car. Because your mom needed to, like, pass everything off so nothing stayed in her house. Absolutely. Everybody is feeling so bloated right now. Five, sure they are. Everybody's pooping twice as much as normal. I'm, like, looking into the future, and I am one of these people. I cannot wait. (laughs) But I will feel no guilt or shame because food is good for you. Oh, my God. I'm just going to enjoy every moment of it. Absolutely. Uh, you can do this without guilt or shame. You do not have to work it off. You do not have to earn it. Just enjoy the food. No shame in my game. Mm-mm. Absolutely. And I think, you know, obviously Thanksgiving is problematic in its origins. Right. Right. But we're going to try to stay positive about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, just know that it was not the story of, you know joy and coming together that we were taught it was in elementary school it's not true guys do not look it up do not wear feather headdresses indigenous people's headdresses nope don't do it do not allow your children to wear fake headdresses don't do it um do not not call indigenous people's indians nope not today but what you can do today eat the turkey eat the or whatever. Or tofurkey. The tofurkey. The turducken, I if think you will. what's important about... Obviously, nobody gives a shit. It's like Christmas. Like, people celebrate Christmas, but then also it's really about family. Yeah. I think Thanksgiving is the same way. Yeah. I think it is a good time to reflect on, like, what you're grateful for and what you're thankful for. And I think that's an excellent exercise that we should do right now. Carrie Ann Watkins, let me put you on the spot. What? And I'm holding up the metaphorical microphone... I'm ready for the pass off. What are you thankful for? Thank you so much for asking, Allison. Mm-hmm. Um, today, I am especially thankful for you mm. and the fact that we recorded this in advance so that we could both spend today with the people that we love mm-hmm. in addition to loving each other mm-hmm. so very much. Mm-hmm. I am also grateful for green beans. Oh, thank God. Um, especially grateful for all the good movies that I'm going to be watching while I digest said food. Yep. Um, yeah, I see fried green tomatoes in my future. I love that. What are you especially grateful for, Allison Elizabeth Easley? Thank you so much. I'm, pa- I'm getting the microphone and passing uh-huh. it. Uh-huh. I think the, the thing I want to do is when I'm past the metaphor- metaphorical microphone is what exactly what you did and say, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. I am thankful for my body. Oh, I am. I am thankful for all of the things that my body can do. Absolutely. So those were snaps. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much. I am thankful for that. I am thankful for all of my amazing friends and family and for just this space and this podcast. Like, Mm -hmm. literally, this year has been amazing. And I cannot believe we are approaching the end of it. Yeah. 
we're going to have the same conversation a month from now when we're like, oh my God, 2022. But like, literally, it feels good to like live in this moment and have a moment of gratitude for for you. I love you. I love you. I love you. Love you more. My heart. Every day. Mm -hmm. Every single day. And just, yeah, I'm thankful for this platform and for all of the amazing Teamsters. I'm getting deep with this. Yeah, you are. I said green beans. I know. Girl, you let me say green beans. (laughs) Usually, I'm the one who goes deep. You go for the jokes. Surface level. That's a safe space. (laughs) No, girl. I'm getting real deep. Girl, I love it. I am here for it. You are speaking my language. We have had people that have reached out that have shared so many things about their stories, about how it relates to them with each individual psychology or history topic. Because guess what? This shit is fucking hashtag relatable. Hashtag relatable at all times. And that's why we're here. Yeah. And that's why we drink. (laughs) 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 Uh, What do they say? Um, uh, When you're... Is the best form of flattery? Um, Oh. um, Imitation. Yeah. There we go. Yeah. Um, Five sure. But... No, this has been incredible, and mm-hmm. I love hearing you go deep. It's really cute. Mm. You did you did a great job. But I'm also really thankful for um, my mother, who always made me like special Thanksgiving. Um, I thought items. you were breaking into like a uh, spring awakening number, Mama who bore me into the woods. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> let's just mix all of our Broadway musicals together. So I was a vegan for seven years. I was a vegan for seven years, Mm -hmm. and my mom always cooked me for Mm -hmm. the majority of a decade, like, separate Thanksgiving stuff. And although I'm not, like, a full-blown anything, I'm dabbling. Right, right. Just dipping my toe into the, you know, to the sin. (laughs) And... Which is great. Like, you know, it's it's fine. Whatever anybody wants to do, it doesn't Mm -hmm. fucking matter to me. But I'm really grateful for her for always accommodating me. Yeah. Yeah. I am also very grateful for my mother who has supported all of my strange mm-hmm. eating things over the years. Mm-hmm. Um, always making you that orange chicken. That orange chicken that I love so much mm-hmm. with scrambled eggs. <laughs> yeah. Yep. All the things I'm allergic to. Amen. Um, yeah. Moms are great. Yeah. I'm grateful for moms. I love moms. And dads and parents. Parents, parent equivalents, any supportive person, all the people, all the role models. That's a really good thing. I think it's a really good exercise to be like, who are your role models? Mm -hmm. I have a work role model who paid more attention to me as an employee. And I'm so grateful for him. I feel like I am where I am because of him. That's incredible. And I owe so much to him. This episode is dedicated to you. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. We all need those mentors and role models and people that we look up to and admire. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know that we think about that enough. Mm-hmm. Let's think about it. Let's think about it. Let's have a moment of <laughs> silence and just think about it. Like, just let's think. all, you know, like when in that 90s sitcom when everyone just kind of gazes off to the right corner at mm-hmm. the same time and it's just like thinking let's mm-hmm. do that for a moment do you know what i love to do what think you don't say <laughs> i do what do you think about 
Oh my god. Well, the limit does not exist, obviously. <laughs> I thought you were using this as an awkward transition into psychology and history podcast topics, of course. I feel like my my transitions are not always the best. I feel Should, like Can you transition yourself? I'll think about it, god, but I certainly like, think yours are charming. Do you think so? I think so. And the fact that they very rarely make sense. I love them. No, they really don't. Speaking of things that don't make sense, let's talk about psychology and history. <laughs> what are we talking about today, Carrie Ann Watkins? I set that one up for you, you in did. a really beautiful I way. You're welcome. Uh-huh. You're welcome. Uh-huh. Um, so today, even though we are in a day of giving thanks and connectedness, my topic this week is a little heavier um, and is really about lacking connection. So I'm going to start off with Kayla's story. And this was published in the Mental Health Foundations Online um, website from the UK. And it was written by Kayla herself. She says, if I were to tell you that I had an illness that affected only 2% of the population and which killed one in, ten, one in 10 of those who had it, what would your reaction be? Wow. And how would that reaction change when I told you that it was a mental illness known as borderline personality disorder or BPD? BPD is one of the most stigmatized and misunderstood mental health conditions, and its devastating effect can be found in a thousand untold stories by those who live with it. Those who exist in a world where no matter how loudly they scream, no one seems to hear their voice. So it's going to be a tough topic. Um, This is... um, so this week's topic is a Patreon pick. Yeah, it is. <laughs> um, from Finland, Alana Cope uh, messaged us and asked that we cover borderline personality personality disorder. Yes. So uh, it's a heavy topic. It's a big topic, but it's such an important one. It had been on my list. Um, so I love that someone else moved it up to the top of my list. Absolutely. All right, so borderline personality disorder most often appears during adolescence or early adulthood. It is characterized by extreme mood swings, a series of unstable relationships, and trouble controlling their emotions. Um, as a consequence of this, higher, there's a higher risk of suicide and self-destructive behavior. And one of my big questions at first, like even just years ago learning about this disorder was why is it called borderline personality disorder that's a good question because it's not like you're on the borderline of having a personality disorder because that doesn't make any fucking sense (laughs) um but according to mental health uk it's because quote doctors previously thought that this was on the border between two different disorders Mm. neurosis and psychosis Ah. Which are no longer terms that we use to describe mental illness. Right. Um, Interesting to note, at the time, people with neurosis were believed to be treatable, where people with psychoses were deemed intreatable. So no one really knew what to do with borderline personality disorder. It sounds like a bucket that they were like, eh, we're not quite sure yet. We'll monitor and like... Adjust as necessary. Yeah. Yeah. So... Keep in mind that the DSM three came out in like the eighties, and that's the first one that was backed up by research, science, science. Huh. So when it was first introduced in the U.S. in nineteen thirty eight, like no one really knew shit about borderline personality disorder. It was thought to describe people who had a quote tendency to regress into borderline schizophrenia. 
So we're just kind of all over the board There's a lot of things being thrown around. Yeah. By the 1970s, a deeper understanding was developed. Otto Kernberg uh, defined borderline as, quote, a middle level of personality organization between psychosis and neurosis, and people with BPD were described as having, quote, primitive psychological defenses, such as splitting and projective identification. So splitting and projective identification. Correct. So think a little bit of schizophrenia, a little bit of these few other things, kind of all the cluster B personality disorders are so, all kind of like thrown in here a little bit. Combo. Yeah. And the a pre- pretty unhealthy way. Sure. So once we, um, in the 1980s, BPD became official as a personality disorder in the DSM three. Mm hmm. Um, since then, we've learned a lot about pers- about borderline personality disorder. And at the end, we're going to talk about other names because we're learning that borderline doesn't actually mean much of anything right. because now we have this understanding and it is its own personality disorder. It's not on the border between multiple personality disorders anymore. So this can be a really scary disorder to live with. Um, I think most any personality disorder can be, especially cluster Bs, but this one is stigma is highly stigmatized and feels more commonly diagnosed. I don't know that that's true. Um, yeah, but it feels like more and more people are seeking support for borderline personality disorder. Like I've just have been hearing about it more. Is it one of those things that's like on the TV? like advertisements for drugs supporting it because i know a lot of those like tier four drugs are mm, like that's how we hear a lot about medical diagnosis and like treatment is through like media right so i haven't seen like i've i've heard about bpd um through friends who have been diagnosed with bpd Um, also on Tumblr and other social media platforms, there's just been a lot of people who are coming forward and talking about it because it can be really alienating, um, Mm -hmm. because it kind of creates distance between you and other people. Mm -hmm. Um, but the medications that are used or prescribed to someone with BPD, like there is no treatment, there's no pill intervention that will change someone having bpd mm-hmm. so instead okay. you're treating like the mood swings sure right or, through mood stabilizers which right. are also commonly prescribed for people with bipolar disorder mm-hmm. or other things so there's a lot of overlap with the way that mental health and mental illnesses are treated mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which makes it a little difficult to hear about mm-hmm. um sure in the mainstream media yeah so um Highly stigmatized. We're going to be talking about symptoms, characteristics, and causes. Please remember that there are also many misconceptions and that people living with BPD can live happy and full lives. So this does not, like, it's not once you're diagnosed, you're going to be miserable forever. Sure. That's not how this works. Yeah. Um, There's an article written by Healthline that highlights seven things that people with BPD want you to know, and I've sprinkled them kind of throughout the symptomology that we're about to go through. So some of the most common symptoms. um, The first one is a fear of abandonment, like going to extreme measures to avoid real or imagined separation or rejection. 
There's a deep fear of being alone, abandoned, or rejected, and they might track a loved one's location or stop them from leaving. They could also push people away before they really let people close to avoid rejection. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that people with BPD want you to know is, quote, we're scared you're going to leave even when things are good and we hate it too. There's this pervasive fear that people will leave us or that we're not good enough for that person. And even if this seems irrational to others, it can feel very real to the person who's struggling. Someone with BPD will do anything to stop will do anything to stop that from happening, which is why they may come across as clingy or needy even though it can be difficult to empathize with. Remember that it stems from a place of fear, which can be incredibly hard to live with. Oh, yeah. So, like, it's this deep fear of feeling highly inadequate. Right. Um, and then maybe lashing out because you're trying to push people away. Mm-hmm. And then they start to go away. And then you have this fear of abandonment. Sure. So, it's this self-perpetuating cycle. Right. That's oh. all happening in your head. And, like, how terrifying that must be. Absolutely. Uh, second, there's a pattern of unstable, intense relationships such as idealizing someone one minute and then suddenly believing that that person doesn't care or is cruel. People with BPD often struggle to maintain healthy personal relationships. Their friendships, marriages, and relationships with family members are often chaotic and unstable. Um, In my research, uh, a lot of what I read was that people with BPD in social circles tend to do really well. They might even be charismatic and pretty charming. so you don't realize that there's an issue until you get on the inner circle, like right. until you're an intimate partner or a close family member, you may never know that something is wrong mm-hmm. um, because it's that close connection that they crave, um, but also that they're most afraid of losing, you know, some of that push and pull. A little black and white thinking happening. Yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. What the idealizing someone one minute and then right. the next minute literally for extremes yeah mm-hmm. yeah there are also rapid changes in self-identity or self-image that include shifting your goals and values and seeing yourself as bad or as if you don't or shouldn't exist at all so it's not just how you see other people but it's also how you see yourself mm-hmm. um the next symptom is there are periods of stress-related paranoia and loss of contact with reality, which could last a few minutes to a few hours. Um, and you may worry that people don't like you or don't want to spend time with you, feeling confused, losing touch with reality, or having an out-of-body experience. Mm-hmm. So it's some de- social or depersonalization, disassociation. Next is impulsive and risky behavior, such as gambling, reckless driving, unsafe sex, spending sprees, binge eating, drug abuse, or sabotaging success by quitting a good job or ending a positive relationship. I feel like those actions speak to me like I'm trying to like fit into a situation. Mm -hmm. So like if you're really trying to connect to somebody, you're like, oh, let's let me do this extreme thing. Yeah. And like, you know, maybe that will make people, maybe that will make me relate to these people more, be more likable to them. I think it's also a level of control. Like, Mm -hmm. if you can't control the people around you, you can control your environment. Sure. That's a good point. But yeah, um, suicidal threats or behavior or self-injury, often in response to fear of separation or rejection. 
They have a distorted or unclear self-image and often feel guilty or ashamed. They tend to sabotage their own progress, like failing at things on purpose, ruining relationships, and getting fired from jobs. So several people who were interviewed about their experiences with BPD said, quote, relationships feel impossible. My brain never stops running and my stress is magnified. I find it difficult to distinguish who I actually am and who my mental illness wants me to be. Mm-hmm. So like it's this huge inner conflict and inner toy- turmoil at all times. Oh, God. Like I imposter syndrome is real. And I yeah. think you and I feel that. Sometimes, right? And I can only imagine that being amplified into every single aspect of your life. Oh, absolutely. That nothing is nothing is for sure, nothing is concrete, even right. if you have a spouse, like a marital spouse that you've committed to under the law that you're committed to, that relationship might not even seem stable. Yeah. Yeah. Even when things are good, it might mm-hmm. not seem stable. Yeah. Um these wide mood str- mood swings that we've kind of talked about a little bit could last from hours to a few days and in- can include intense happiness, irritability, shame, or anxiety. You may experience sudden changes in how you feel about others, yourself, and the world around you. Irrational emotions like uncontrollable anger, fear, anxiety, hatred, sadness, and love change frequently and suddenly, and you may lash out at others and have trouble calming down when you're upset. A person with BPD says, quote, everything is felt more intensely, good, bad, or otherwise. Our reaction to such feelings may seem out of proportion, but it's very appropriate in our minds. It is important to remember that everything the person with BPD is thinking is more than appropriate in their mind at that time. So don't tell me that I'm being silly or make me feel as though my feelings aren't valid. Mm -hmm. It may take time to reflect, but in the moment, things are very real and scary. Give time, don't judge, and allow space where it's necessary. I think that goes back to something you said about coping mechanisms, like working, like they're there for a reason, like they work because they work. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. That's exactly where a lot of this is thought to come from, is mm-hmm. it's coping skills that developed over time um, from early childhood trauma, which we're going to get into in and just a minute. And you wouldn't do it unless it works. Unless it works. It's my favorite way to explain coping skills. People do coping skills because they work for them. Mm -hmm. Um, So people with BPD are surviving in any way that they can Mm -hmm. because it works for them in that moment, even if it hurts. And there's so much happening at that level that it's hard to make appropriate decisions or figure out, you know, what you need to do because you like your brain is offline. One person, I thought this was the most powerful metaphor, says, it feels like going through life with third degree emotional burns. Everything is hot and painful to the touch. Sometimes having BPD is like walking on eggshells around yourself. We never know which way our mood is going to go and it's impossible to control. Mm -hmm. Like um, third degree emotional burns, Mm. like the level of pain at anything. Wow. Like that's a lot to try and manage. And third degree is like the degree in which you seek medical attention. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so how does this develop, which is what you were just kind of getting to? Like with any other mental disorder, it's hard to know exactly where BPD comes from. There are some genetic and environmental things to consider, 
like um, hereditary disposition. If you have a parent with BPD, then you're more likely to have BPD. Um, sometimes brain abnormalities are just genetics in general. Also childhood trauma, mm-hmm. because that's real. Oh, yeah. Um, BPD can damage many areas of your life, including repeated job changes or losses, not completing your education, legal issues, conflict-filled relationships, self-injury and hospitalizations, involvement in, in abusive relationships, unplanned pregnancies, motor vehicle accidents, physical fights, risky behavior, and attempted suicides. There are a few comorbidities that are pretty common, like depression. Makes sense. Checks out. Um, alcohol or substance misuse, anxiety disorders, disordered eating, PTSD, ADHD, and other personality disorders. Um, according to the book I read, which we're coming to at the very end, apparently narcissistic personality disorder tends to be one of the more common comorbidities with BPD, and they're both cluster B personality disorders. Mm. So you can have one or both mm-hmm. of those. Interesting. Yeah. It's estimated that up to about 6% of the U.S. population has BPD. More women than men are diagnosed, though this could be because men are often misdiagnosed with... of sexism. <laughs> right. <laughs> with PTSD or depression. There's also such a stigma in our society about men seeking mental health support services. That's true. So it could just be that men are seeking less counseling and therefore have lower numbers of people being diagnosed. Yep, that's true. Um, so ordinary events may trigger symptoms like minor separations, vacations, trips, changes of plan, um, could trigger anger or stress. Living with someone with BPD or being around them can feel difficult because when people with BPD aren't in control of their emotions, they can lash out physically or verbally. People with BPD can be impulsive, and this may make them um, abruptly cut ties to people that they feel too close to. And um, in some instances, they can be really manipulative, either to meet their needs, going back to coping skills, um, or because they're trying to control the situation around them. The people I know with BPD, when things are good and they're managing their emotions well, are some of the most charming and charismatic people I know. Often with BPD, people tend to struggle more with interpersonal relationships, and because of that, you may not recognize it until you get to know them, kind of like we were talking about earlier. But um, there's no intention to be cruel or manipulative. It's just the fact that they have um, emotional dysregulation going on. They're ha- they have all these things in their brain. They're preventing them from being the way that they would like to be. It's important to remember not to judge and to support where you're able, but understand that borderline personality disorder is just one piece of a person. Often the hardest part for people with untreated BPD is the lack of sense of identity. So at some point it can feel like the whole person. But it's not Mm -hmm. like you still have to dig deeper and figure out who you are, who the other person is. People with BPD tend to manage the condition who tend to manage the condition well can lead really fulfilling lives. Effective treatment takes time, patience and commitment. Treatment may include talk therapy, medication or both. And there are many types of talk therapy that could help. Some of the mo- more common ones are dialectical behavioral therapy or cognitive behavioral therapy. And therapists will work with you to learn 
or to teach you how to manage your emotions, recognize and change unwanted behaviors, and gain new perspectives. There is no medication that treats BPD explicitly. However, there are medications that treat anxiety and depression and regulate mood swings, which can help you control your impulsive behavior. Um, and sometimes antipsychotics will even help people with BPD, depending on how severe your symptoms are. Most of the time, BPD symptoms do decrease with age. Um, with ongoing therapy, it can feel as though they disappear altogether. With the right treatment and support, people can learn to manage their symptoms and really improve the quality of life. The term borderline is still debated by a large group of people, and many experts think that it should be renamed because they believe that the term is outdated and stigmatizing. Some believe that it should not be classified as a personality disorder at all, but rather as a mood disorder. Some suggestions include emotional dysregulation disorder or emotional intensity disorder, mm. both of which sound like valid options to me. Um, though I am not the person that they call and ask what personality or mood disorder should be named. Sure. Because I would never have approved seasonal affective disorder. Sad is too on the nose. Oh, my goodness. Who, who approved that? How it's did a, it get past rewrites? A white man. Yeah. That's all I could say. There are a few really incredible books out there that I would like to recommend um, if you're looking to understand BPD, if you suspect that you may have BPD or have been diagnosed, or if you love someone with BPD. Um, so I Hate You, Don't Leave Me by Gerald Chrisman and Hal Strauss, Mindfulness for BPD by Blaise Agrair and Gillian Glenn, um, Buddha and the Borderline by Kira Van Gelder, Mm. And the one that I read in preparation for this episode, which was Stop Walking on Eggshells by Paul Mason and Randy Krieger, which also gives a really great um, analysis of like the differences between BPD and narcissism, mm -hmm. because they can have some overlapping symptomology, um, and also really reasonable and realistic tools that you can use, understanding like how to have conversations with people. Um, they advise if you are trying to, um, help someone that you suspect has BPD, but has not been diagnosed, don't try to tell them that that's what you think that they have. Like don't diagnose, don't to their face, diagnose them Yeah, because it that, can evoke. That does not get received very well. No, 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 it does not. Um, but it's a really great, for me, it was great in understanding the people around me who have BPD and how um, like their behaviors may have impacted me and how my behaviors may have impacted them and just kind of processing a lot of those things for myself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As always, if you need support, please contact the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 um, because this is such a deadly and dangerous um mental health illness mm -hmm. mental illness mm -hmm. um and it does so often result in suicide attempts or death by suicide so please take care of yourselves take care of your loved ones um and just know that it's even though it can be big and scary and overwhelming there's so much more to a person. Um, so do the work that you can do to destigmatize it yourself and mm -hmm. for those people around you. Um, and also just know that there is hope for, um, 
for anyone who might be struggling. So one of the things that you and I talk a lot about is how representation is important. Mm -hmm. Like when we're looking at the media, we're looking for, uh, what do they call them? Windows and mirrors. Um, So when consuming TV shows, movies, books, whatever, like we want to see people who are our mirrors, who look like us, Mm -hmm. especially um, like queer folks. We all fell in love with the L word because for so many of us, it was the first time we saw queer people on television. Yeah. Yeah. We also need windows, which are views into other lives that we may not have otherwise. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that's so difficult is that when we're looking at representations of mental illness in the media, they're usually so overdone, like they're so dramatized that they're no longer an accurate representation. Or relatable. Or relatable. Um, They're also like the same few ones over and over. Like DID is a really popular one. Um, Narcissism, I feel like, is up there. Recently, depression, anxiety have gotten a little bit more press. Um, autism, mm-hmm. neurodivergence in general, kind disordered of disordered eating. Disordered eating is a big one, but we don't see much of that with borderline personality disorder. And I think it's because it is so n- highly stigmatized that people just don't know how to address the topic. Mm-hmm. But it's necessary if we're going to ad- address mental illness. Mm-hmm. So, like thinking about ways that we can create some of these windows and mirrors. Um, in our lives and like seeking out people with these experiences to learn and understand more either online or um, TikTok has been a great one for me, like mm-hmm. learning more about mental health stuff in general. It's a great way for people to share their own stories and experiences and for other people to understand that they're not the only ones. And finding community is so important. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I think that that's, that was one of the big takeaways for me is, like, I know a few people with BPD mm-hmm. um, who, like, are learning how to live happy and fulfilling lives, yep. and that's incredible, but life would have been so much easier if they had known earlier or if there was any, like, ways that people could be better educated about it because i think there's just so much misinformation out there sure and god i hope that like as time goes on people are like able to detect those feelings sooner yeah like well get the resources and the other people yeah and to find the communities earlier too and i feel like our generation like I don't know the statistics on it, but I feel like our generation goes to therapy more than previous generations. Yes. And I think we're also raising kids in the next generation to be more aware of mental health stuff mm-hmm. because we were all raised by parents who didn't go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So now we're doing the work to, you know, overcome some of those stigmas. So I'm hoping that the next generation will really have access to early mental health services when they're needed. That's a great point. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. We're going to have like an army of therapists. That would be fantastic. And bless you, children. All of you. <laughs> I know. Every- bless you all. We are both not therapists <laughs> for per- very particular reasons because believe me, we both thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and we both, I think, have learned all the ways that 
we could benefit from therapists, but also do not need to do it ourselves. I'm a delicate flower and I cannot take all that home with me. No, no, I I really can't. No, but we both do like therapy adjacent positions. Mm -hmm. Yep. Yep. Um, People knowing I'm a social worker jokingly call me a therapist pretty regularly Mm -hmm. including me including you and my immediate (laughs) response is always I'm not a therapist Uh I feel like oh what's her name from the good place who's like not a woman I don't know I've never seen Janet Janet damn it Mm -hmm. yeah like not a girl not a therapist if you you've never seen the good place no I know how have you never seen the good place? I know I'm working on it I'm sorry we need to pause it's on the list during our break we're gonna stop and watch the good place and then we'll be right back you want to take a break absolutely (laughs) we'll take a quick break and when we come back we're talking about poop you're welcome Hey everybody, do you like Dungeons and Dragons and fun, lovable siblings who've got great banter? Well then come check out Crit Nasty, where we do things like... It's like wad of marshmallow. Yes, like if I if I were to put this in my mouth, which would be fucking crazy. <laughs> it would get like really sticky and I'd be like... Oh, no. <laughs> I just was going to say, as soon as I see the fire, I run full force into it. Why? <laughs> and I stare him dead in the eyes and I extinguish the flame and I say 500,000, no less. He says, you're lucky that this studio's owned by Disney and that this is a national story. <laughs> I... Then come check out Crit Nasty every Monday wherever you get your podcasts. Right now we're in the middle of a season called Battle the Bands where we made our own original songs. Also, find us on Instagram and Twitter at critnasty underscore All right, so we're talking about poop? Talking about poop. Prepare your loins. <laughs> My we body are- is ready. <laughs> Get it ready. Questionably. We're talking about Typhoid Mary. Okay, it's coming together. The OG. All right. I thought we were going back to the uh, bird poop that was brought into your class and no, the that we discussed in the last episode. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Although that's a missed opportunity. <laughs> TBH could have been a whole thing. All right, so Mary Malone was born in 1869 in Ireland and immigrated to the U.S. in 1884. So she had worked in a variety of jobs for, like, well-to-do families, very, like, wealthy, very rich families. So she was at one point, like, doing laundry and just, like, kind of, like, generally, like, helping her out, out around the house. But she found that she enjoyed cooking the most. So that was like the the path that she decided to pursue. And her dish that was like the most famous was that she made a homemade vanilla ice cream with like fresh peaches, which is like such a beautiful summer that's, experience. Yeah, that's very It southern. sounds delicious. Mm-hmm. But so Mary ended up becoming um, an asymptomatic carrier of salmonella which resulted in her famous nickname, Typhoid Mary. Um, We got a Typhoid Mary right here. (laughs) (laughs) Dolly's like literally. Are you like licking your butt, Dolly? Yeah, Dolly's for sure. I was trying to come up with the quote from um, The Help where she makes a shit pie. Oh, yeah. But I can't remember the quote. Also, the movie's a little problematic. She says, eat my shit. 
Is that it? Is that that's literally that's it, it? I oh, think. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I was confusing <laughs> that with secrets in the sauce. <laughs> no. I mean the movie's ten years old, but I think she said Eat my sh- eat she my did shit. as she was walking out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. coming back to me. Yeah. Not quite as catchy as Secrets in the Sauce. No, but different different theme. Yeah, similar themes though. Eating a dead body, Murder. eating something that comes out of someone's body. All right. Typhoid Mary. Typhoid Mary. Up there. <laughs> <laughs> so let's talk a little bit about the background of Salmonilla. I know you were asking. <laughs> so a man named Carl Liebermeister, which is just a name. <laughs> Sounds like one of the claymation characters. Exactly. Names. I'm like, he's I'm like in a Mr. he's in a Christmas movie somewhere. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Five sure. So he was attempting to crack the code on what caused um, typhoid fever, which is what Mary was named after. So he knew that the condition was caused by microorganisms. He knew that just from science and his background. Right, because he's brilliant. Because he's brilliant, as people are. In the 1880s. So he also tried to prove that the spread of the disease was related to drinking contaminated water with excrement of patients with typhoid fever. Isn't that how cholera is spread? It is. Is it cholera? Yes, it is. Good job. Ten points for Ravenclaw. Ravenclaw. Yeah, I... When I was vaccinated against cholera, I did a little bit of research. That's also, great. the vaccine for cholera tastes like Alka-Seltzer and death if you mix them together in a little shot glass of water. Wow. It's really know. the worst. Yeah. Not good. Not recommended. I would take the Pfizer shot again also over taking the cholera vaccine again. So, William Budd was a doctor who was fascinated with, guess what? Cholera. <laughs> <laughs> oh, good. So he um, he thought that the typhoid fever could be transmitted by like specific toxins present in the excrement, um, and just as Carl Liebermeister suggested, the contamination of the water by the poop of the patients was responsible for the spread. So they were on the same page. They were yeah. like, "We think it's poop related. We think it's water related. We don't quite know. There's yeah. poop. There's the thing." People Unclear. are getting sick. Yeah. Don't drink poop. <laughs> don't. Just don't do it. <laughs> Not recommended. Sentences I never thought I would say. Right. <laughs> so according to William Budd, each case that he saw related to the poop consumption um, saw that each of them spread to another person. Mm-hmm. So it was like very highly uh, contagious. Yeah. With the poop. Sure. I'm just going to. Let's get a dinger. With the poop. Like, how many times are we going to say poop? So I'll Carl, keep the counter going. Yeah, right. <laughs> Carl Joseph Elberth and Rudolf Virchow discovered that live bacteria in the abdominal lymph nodes and the spleen could contain this particular virus. Called cholera. Called salmonella. 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 Okay. So they published their observation in 1880 and then again in 1891. And finally, the term salmonella was named after Daniel Elmer Salmon. <gasps> His name was Salmon. Like That's the okay. Fish. Salmon or the color. 
Um, so um, he was an American veterinary pathologist. So he did some additional re- research. And so he was like the guy at the end. So he got it named after him. For sure. Checks out. Yep. So we know the bacteria causes the sickness typhoid. And the symptoms of typhoid fever are pain in the abdomen and the muscles. Bloating. Mm-hmm. Constipation. Mm-hmm. Diarrhea, mm-hmm. nausea or vomiting, mm-hmm. fatigue, mm-hmm. fever, sure, <laughs> chills, right, loss of appetite, uh huh, headache, Checks muscle off. weakness, rash, and a small red dot, like red dot. I guess that rash and red dots. It's a combo. Okay. It would just kind of like develop skin rash. Yep. Up until then, a lot of it sounded like the same uh, symptoms of just being like lactose intolerant. Sure. I was like, how do you know? How do you if differentiate? If you have typhoid or if you drink some milk. If you drink some poop. Poop milk. Poop milk. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> I also did not realize that typhoid came from sal- salmonella. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. That's the bacteria. So why is salmonella still a concern, but typhoid is not? There, Because there's a, a vaccine. Yeah, there's a vaccine and there's also antibiotics, Ah, which I pronounce differently every time I say it. Sure. So intestinal bleeding is possible. Okay. So during the third week ah, of the illness, little holes start to form, like where the acids of your stomach are kind of eating away at the flesh. So like that's how you can die. You can literally hemorrhage and like, ew. Yeah. Gross. It's a whole thing. I know. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, can we get back to politics, please? Back to Mary. So she came over from Ireland in 1884. And so a few years later in 1906, she was employed by a wealthy man named Charles Henry Warren. And when you have three names, usually they will You're gonna kill, kill you. But yeah. he didn't, from what we know. Um, but he was a very important person he was a new york banker who rented a house in the north coast of long island for the summer he was summering he was summering like teddy roosevelt was like also summering here so this was like so he's like with the big whip he's like doing all right yeah he and then let me guess he hears about the peach ice cream that's exactly he's like hire her literally like the way things worked back then was like if you knew somebody and you knew i mean it's still that way now yeah like word of mouth he heard about the peach ice cream for sure but mary so mary was employed by him and she was responsible for cooking for him and his family and his guests so between august 27th and september 3rd Six out of 11 people in the home began suffering from typhoid fever. Those are not great odds. Not great. Not great for her. Not great for anybody. Right. But during this time, if you had typhoid fever, one in 10 people died. Wow. Yes. Charles Warren was so rich and extra that he hired a private investigator (laughs) to figure out where the family and the guests had gotten this sickness from. So they called him a sanitary engineer. And his name was George Soper. Isn't it a little ironic that his last name has soap in it? Sober. 
sober. Oh, much less interesting. Don't you think? That was an ironic joke. (laughs) (laughs) And he published the results of his investigation about six months after the event. So originally he believed that the freshwater clams could be the culprit for the infestation or the infection. Uh Uh-huh. So when he went to go interview the staff, he like didn't really pay a lot of attention to them because he had like this whole other theory. Right. Blame it on the fish. That's my motto. And so, like, his whole investigation was rushed initially, and then he, like, had to go back. It was, like, a little bit embarrassing, but we're, like, not going to go into that. Sure, sure. But while he was going through, like, the whole oyster lead thing, more people were continuing to get sick. Mm -hmm. So it turns out that, like, nobody had even eaten any of the oysters at all. So that theory was debunked. Sure. He finally got... um, mm, So he finally kind of got it together. He began interviewing all of the staff, all of the people present, all the people who were sick. And he started kind of like honing in on Mary. Miss Mary. Because she had been in direct contact with everybody who had been sick. He ended up being the first author who ever described a healthy carrier of salmonella in the in the United States. Oh. Big news. So he's feeling pretty good about himself. Big deal. Big deal. So he did he went to talk to her and he presented some of his information and he was like, "Hey, you know, I think that you might have gotten all these people sick." And she was so offended. I don't blame her. I would too. All these accusations. She ended up chasing him out of her kitchen with a fork. Oh, man. Mm -hmm. I was hoping for a knife, but a fork. Get off my lawn. Eat my shit. (laughs) 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 So, So, what does he do after he's been chased out of the kitchen with a fork? He obviously stalks Mary. For sure. So, which is, like, totally creepy and terrible and, like, definitely don't stalk people. Right, right. That's our stance on that. Don't do it. (laughs) He did, though. So, he was able to see, like, whether she was infecting other people. Mm -hmm. So, he attempted to get samples of her feces, urine, and blood through stalking. And didn't think she would notice. Not great. He was unsuccessful, which honestly, thank God, because like, don't do that. (laughs) I would hate that for both of them. But he decided to do a deep dive into her past, and he realized that she had worked for eight other families prior. Okay? Seven of the eight families had experienced cases of typhoid. 22 people had shown signs of infection and almost seven people had died. Wow. Yikes. So during that year, about 3,000 people in New York, New York City had been infected with salmonella. It wasn't until six years later in 1911 that any vaccine was available against it. And even then it was really just for like people in the army. Yeah. It wasn't for just like anybody. Right. Um, Antibiotic. I can't say antibiotic. Why is that so hard for me? 
Um, I really just enjoy all the different ways you come <laughs> with, to pronounce why. it from time to time. But it wasn't available until like 1948. Like, shit. It's like, so anyway, so like that was not an option for her. I'm just like projecting like that's what it was. So it was the opinion of Sober that Mary was a dangerous source of the disease. Like she was going to spread it. So he ended up enlisting his friends at the Department of Health to bring Mary in for testing. And they went and knocked on her door and they got her and they brought her in and she was not having it. Yeah. So they end up bringing her in to to talk to her and she adamantly denied that she was sick or even the possibility that she could be getting other people sick. She did admit to changing her name at previous employers after moving from one family to the other, which is interesting. Keep in mind that she was leaving because these families were getting sick. So this is like a common thing we'll come back to. Like, was she like, you know, why was she doing that? Mm-hmm. Um, she also didn't have a concept of germs or disease transmission at all. And like many people during this time, she didn't have an understanding of germs. Right. Um, she admittedly did not see a reason for washing her hands because she didn't believe that sickness could be spread through touch. Okay. So this means that Mary, typhoid Mary, was taking a shit and not washing her hands. Kind of checks out for the time period. TBH. Yeah, sure. Like no running water. It wasn't like... There was running water. (laughs) I mean, but they were like in an outhouse. Like they didn't have a... This is New York City. In the 1800s, though. In 1900s. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not great. It's, like, just as sad. Wait, the cusp, The cusp. So, she was, like, generally, like, uncooperative and, like, in a way that I can totally relate to. Like, it seems like she was, like, this is absolutely ridiculous. Like, I feel fine. It's just a coincidence that, like, all these other people are getting sick. Um, I mean, to be fair... This is, like, pre-antibiotics. Yeah. Everyone's getting sick all the time. All the time. Like, she's like, this is the nature of the biz. It's the early 1900s. Yep. I don't blame her for not necessarily knowing. Oh, and how could she know if, like, nobody knows about germs unless you tell them. It sounds like an absurd concept. It is an absurd concept. It really is, to be fair. I'm an adult. (laughs) I still don't fully understand. Yeah. So, but they finally did test her. And of course, her stool samples came back as positive for salmonella. So, she was then transferred to North Brother Island to Riverside Hospital for quarantining. They quarantined her for two fucking years. What? Two years. Two years? Buckle up, because if you think two years is bad, girl, just wait. So, in 1909, she sued the shit out of the health department for quarantining her for two years. Good for her. Yeah. Bravo. So, during her two years of quarantine, 120 out of 163 stool samples had tested positive for typhoid. It's not quite 100%. So, there's still some doubt. And, and, and... 
I back up. They weren't all stool samples. They were like testing all like her tears and sweat and like all of her bodily fluids. Sure. Mostly stool samples, which would make sense because it's literally coming from your intestines. Right. So she stated that during the two years, the facility had offered to take her gallbladder out in hopes that may like take away the likelihood that she would spread the disease. But she denied it. She was like, you're not fucking taking my gallbladder. No, she feels fine. Quote, she was unsuccessfully treated with hexamethylene laxatives, eutropamine, and brewer's yeast. In 1910, a new health commissioner vowed to free Mary and assist her with finding suitable employment as a domestic, but not as a cook. As a domestic. Sure. Sure. Mary was released, but never intended to abide by the agreement. End quote. So they were like, all right, Mary, we're going to give you a shot. Go. Go back. Don't be a cook. And she was like, but you have never tasted my peach ice cream. That's exactly right. The world like, deserves um, Mary's yeah. peach ice cream. <laughs> So in 1915, she started working again as a cook, but this time for the Salon Maternity Hospital. No. In Manhattan. Mary. Mary. Sweet Mary. Sweet baby girl. She doesn't know. Honey, honey. 25 people, including doctors, nurses, staff, were infected with typhoid. Two of them died. So, it turns out that she had used a fake name. She used Mary Brown to become employed at this particular establishment. Well, I feel like Typhoid Mary would have really given her away. Oh, my God. That was, like, literally, like, by the time she was in quarantine the first time, the papers, that's, like, when they determined she was Typhoid Mary. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Everybody did know who she was. You really just can't put that on an application, You really can't. It's not great for your chef. Yeah. Career goals. Yeah. So it turns out that she had used a fake name. Um, So they did find out that she was employed. And Sober himself, like, busts in at the hospital and is like, I caught you. You know, it was like his life goal. Yeah. And this was years later. It was like six years later. Math is hard. I don't know. (laughs) Um. So they, she was sent back to North Brother Island, where she was quarantined again. For how long? The rest of her life. No. Yes. Oh, God. Poor yes. Typhoid Mary. Yes. So she died November 1938. And as soon as she hit the floor, they performed an autopsy. They could not wait to see and during her autopsy they removed her gallbladder where guess what they found salmonella so sober's like feeling really good about this because he's like i was right yeah yeah sure yeah but also this is a human being absolutely absolutely so it does raise the question about what would have happened if she had allowed them to take her gallbladder out but naturally she was like no well, also, if you... Also, it's like 19-whatever. Like, don't take my gallbladder out in 19-whatever. Yeah, no. Um, also, 
with a limited understanding of how diseases spread, mm-hmm. a limited understanding of germs, because uh-huh. they because make no fucking sense. They really don't. And you never feel sick. Like, she was never symptomatic. Yep. So, of course, she assumed, like, I imagine, like, a one flew over the cuckoo's nest situation where she's like, you're all being absurd. Right. I am fine. Yeah. Why are you treating me like this? Because she literally has no understanding she of it. She feels fine. Yeah. Yeah. She just wanted to make ice cream. She just wanted to make ice cream. That was her whole joy in life was making ice cream. Oh. And we robbed her of it. Bless her. And then put her in isolation. Well, to be fair, Mary, if you'd just washed your fucking hands. I mean, we have people today who needed to be taught how to wash their hands at the beginning of COVID. So I really That's don't a good point. feel oh like this is the population of people that can judge. That's a good point. Oh, like, man. We were teaching people how to sing songs to know how long That's to right. wash their hands. Happy birthday. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So, quote, much speculation remains regarding the treatment that Mary received at the hands of the Department of Health, City of New York. She was never fined, let alone confined. Instead of working with her to make her realize she was a risk factor, the state quarantined her twice, making her a laboratory pet. Ugh, I hate that for her. Mary endured test after test and was only thinking about how she could cook again. She had become a victim of a health of the health laws of the press and above all the physicians who had plenty of time to test but never had time to talk with the patient. This is all a quote, obviously. Mary's case is a perfect example of how the healthcare system provides social attitudes towards diseased carriers, often associated with prejudice. This case highlighted the problematic nature and the subject of the need for an enhanced medical and legal social treatment model aimed to improving the status of diseased carriers and the limit and limiting their impact on society. So basically we can see that there is And like you had just touched on, there's like a a conflicting ideologies on whether people consider her to be a lab rat because, you know, they're basically, you know, institutionalizing her. Yeah, for her whole life. Like that is so sad. And, you know, also at what responsibility is it for the health department to say, hey, you know, we have conducted testing and we have found that you're, you know, making other people sick. So... Um, I feel like there could have been a way, considering there could have been a way for her to have not lived on an island in quarantine, considering that her spreading the disease could have been solved simply from her washing her own hands. Yeah. That's really sad. Yeah. They also didn't know. Like, to be fair, they didn't know. Some of them may have known. Yeah. Yeah. But the health department knew. But sure. like portraying, yeah. But maybe they didn't, I guess, because then they they held her forever. Yeah, yeah. Well, well and, I mean, I don't think they could prove it because they didn't. They couldn't get into her gallbladder. Well, and like thinking about the ways that scientific advancements are, and what we understanding about diseases now that we didn't understand back then. Mm-hmm. Like it's just it's so hard to know what they would have known, how they would have tested. Yeah. Um, like 
I feel like there are now tests for gallbladders that did not exist back then. Well, and all of this is treatable. Like, there's the vaccine, and then there's antibiotics. <laughs> well, and also, like, how much time did they actually take to try and explain this to Mary? Mm-hmm. Versus just assuming that she wouldn't get it or didn't get it and needed to be locked up. Like, we all know what they felt about the wandering womb at this point. That's true. So That's true. But she was also a saucy, a saucy bitch. Oh, for sure. And was like... Whatever you say, I'd say the opposite. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I also love. I love her tenacity, for sure. I'm sure. Yeah. So I think maybe the intersection here is just maybe like the misrepresentation of Mary and then also people. Yeah, you're killing the intersections. Like the past two episodes, this is amazing. Thank you. It's because I never do them. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I completely agree. I think that the way that... Borderline personality disorder is misrepresented and overstigmatized and like just generally misunderstood. Mm-hmm. It sounds like at the time typhoid would have been the same way. Oh yeah. There's so many I mean, I feel like maybe the the world that Mary existed in as far as like the ignorance towards knowing anything about typhoid is how we feel about BPD about bpd because we're literally in its essential infancy trying to figure out more about it yeah i think they're still trying to clarify a lot of things like we kind of have a general rough outline for what it is um but the thing that i this is a small tangent the thing that i'm learning more and more about with mental health is that it's almost impossible to have things fit neatly in a box because that's not how brains work. Mm-hmm. So there is a lot of overlap and there are a lot of things that sort of look like the same thing but aren't exactly. And um, so I think that there's a lot of clarification work that could be done. I think also the name is a bit of a misnomer, mm-hmm. which has led to a lot of stigmatization. Um But I think that the medical advances that happened from like the late 1800s to now, because now we've got like we had the um, COVID vaccine. We just both had our third dose. And that's just incredible, given where we were a year ago at this time. Um, But I feel like mental health is less far along because people were less understanding of mental health mm-hmm. like clearly we had freud and hippocrates oh, what like a gift people have been talking about mental health but we're just now kind of really beginning to understand epigenetics uh-huh. and we're understanding trauma in different ways and like those things are really important to truly understanding and i think it's why People like Typhoid Mary who are asymptomatic but passing it on, Mm -hmm. I think there's a really cool metaphor there for people with trauma who are not addressing their trauma and don't see it as trauma, but are still passing it along to other people. Mm -hmm. Sure. Um, Still displaying those characteristics. Yeah. So I don't know that that directly applies to BPD, but it certainly applies to other mental health stuff is... While you may feel asymptomatic or be asymptomatic of, you know, a specific mental illness, how are the people around you affected? Oh, yeah. That goes back to, like, awareness, too. Yeah. And, like, not not being able to, like, identify those 
uh, what am I saying? The like early signs and symptoms. Yeah, symptoms in yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. I completely yeah. agree. Excellent job with intersections. Oh. High five! I'm super proud of you. Oh, thank you so very much. Yeah, I'm here all week. Cool. Me too. Let's take a let's take a week off. We've earned it. (laughs) All right, guys. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to our Patreon. Yes. um, Alana. Thank you so much for picking that topic. Um, Yeah. Thank you so much, Alana, for our Patreon pick. Um, If you would like to pick a topic for us on Patreon, you can find us at Podcast with an Audience. And there are several tiers for you to pick from at any tier you can get access to our highly desirable pasta recipe which we can both attest to being just utterly delicious and with all the food you consume today we know that pasta may not be at the top <laughs> of your list but it should be yeah this but is like what a gift to so somebody good. else to be like listen listen I, I got you like i have this pasta recipe and i'm gifting it to you yeah that's yeah. a really good Christmas present. That's an excellent Christmas You're present. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and then at a certain tier, you can pick a topic for us. And we absolutely love when people pick topics for us. We really do. It's so much fun. Makes my heart so warm, just like this Thanksgiving feast. Oh, let's go take a nap. I Oh, God, I'm in a coma. Oh. I'm in a food coma. Thank you guys so much for your support. Thank you so much. I am so grateful for each and every one of you. If you support us, blink twice. And if you're out there, keep listening. Thank you for listening to Podcasts Without an Audience. Find us on social media at Pod Without an Odd. You can find us on Instagram or Facebook. Or find us on the web at podcastwithoutanaudience.com. Shoot us an email at podwithoutanaudd at gmail.com. Our cover art is created by an actual angel, Ashley Acevedo. Our music is by Zach Smith and Ted Oliver. Editing by Jacob Beeson. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and all of our nerdy content. Please consider leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to us today. Oh, and check out our Patreon for exclusive content and our pasta recipe. Again, thanks, and keep listening.